He is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, for the last while now, we have been following Jesus through Matthew uh, with this hope of becoming disciples, this hope of uh, following Jesus, of becoming students, becoming apprentices, becoming learners from Jesus. We began all the way back at Christmas with the beginning of this story, and we followed Jesus uh, as he became this uh, well-known, traveling, itinerant preacher throughout the, the countryside. And uh, we've been following him with this, again, this intention of not just like filling our head with more Bible or more theology, but that this would translate from our heart to our head into our hands, uh, from our head to our hearts and into our hands, and that we would actually like live out these stories. And we've journeyed from Christmas now up to the climactic moment of the story, the resurrection. And so we have an Easter sermon this morning. So as we get ready to jump into that, would you uh, join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, uh, thank you uh, for the gift of this morning. Uh, thank you that on this Easter Sunday we get uh, the chance to gather together. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this time. Uh, as we turn now to wrestle with the scriptures together, God, we uh, recognize that your spirit is here among us. And we yield ourselves to your spirit and ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the way of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Throughout uh, much, if not most, of my life, uh, fear has been a constant companion. Uh, it's kind of like the best friend that I never asked for nor wanted, and yet like, is stuck right there next to me at my hip, right? Uh, it's been like part of my life always seemingly to be present uh, for as far back as I can remember. Uh, so the way that this showed up for me as a kid was, well, I was... I was a scared kid. Uh, I was really timid. I was really shy. Like I was, I was um, hesitant to jump into anything new. And perhaps like the, the story that summarizes this the most uh, comes down to, to me and my brothers on our, our front porch growing up. So we lived in an old farmhouse, and it had like one of those big wraparound uh, porches. And my brothers were much older than me, so there was a 10-year gap between me and the closest. And um, my brothers, when they were kids, were like wild banshees. Like they would like take off jumping off the roof. They destroyed our house. Like they were just crazy, crazy kids. I was not. And so uh, when it came to my childhood, I didn't jump off the roof, but I would approach the edge of the porch and I would stand there and I would shake. Like the porch is only like three or four feet high, about this height, which is bringing back some terrible memories. So I'll step back. But I would stand there and I would shake. I would be so afraid of like jumping off of the porch. My brothers would stand there and harass me and heckle me to the point of tears. They were trying to like motivate me uh, the best way that brothers can, right? But I would stand there and I would shake and they would walk by and they would even like push me so that I would like have to jump off and I would end up in tears and like hoping that they would head back to college or whatever it was, right? But like this moment summarizes so much of my life. Like this was such an unknown for me. It was so, so scary and fear was this, just this best friend that was right there telling me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Now that I've gotten older uh, and have tried to become, you know, something like a, a self-aware adult, I've done some like self-work, some introspection, trying to figure out more of like the way in which I'm wired. And in recent years, I've discovered that, like, fear is just a big part of my personality. Like, fear is just a big part of the way in which I'm wired. Uh, that um, the way that, like, I interpret new data, new information, new experiences is through, like, this lens of fear. Almost like it, fear is baked into the prescription of my glasses, right? Like, this is how I interpret any sort of new information, which makes for, like, a really exciting life, let me tell you. Um, now, like... 
fear isn't like ultimately like a bad thing, right? Inherently a bad thing. Like fear actually does like have good purposes to it, right? Like the fact that I am here today uh, is fear at its best, right? Because it reminds us of our limitations and our own sort of humanness. And the fact that some of my friends from high school are still alive is a testament to the goodness of fear, right? Because I served as that voice of reason. But fear at its worst can leave me at a place of almost like paralysis by it. Like an inability to like move forward. Because there are moments in my life, seasons of my life, where like I'm overcome by fear. And as a result, overcome by things like doubt and skepticism and suspicion and scarcity. Now what's fascinating about this is... uh, Among uh, this particular way of thinking about personality, one particular thinker has said that the the personality type that I have is perhaps like one of the most common among those in the U.S., which is interesting, right? Meaning like uh, one of the most common sorts of uh, personality types is um, interprets everything through fear. Again, this isn't a bad thing, right? Like, the reason that you're here today is probably due in large part to fear in your life that says don't do this, right? It keeps us alive. But when we think about this, like, this means that the way that we've organized our shared life together has often been done through this lens of fear. And again, at its worst, this means that we as a culture can be overcome by fear, overcome by doubt, overcome by suspicion and skepticism and scarcity. And this means that we as a culture, as a people, can get to a place of almost like paralysis by our fear, being overcome and overridden with fear. Now because of this, I think it's fascinating uh, that within Matthew's account of the, the, the resurrection, that we see... Um, uh, this being addressed not once but twice. And it seems to almost like challenge this impulse within us towards fear. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 28. Now prior to Matthew chapter 28, we see like the last hours of Jesus' life in like very grotesque and brutal detail. And so we get to the point of Jesus' crucifixion when he dies on the cross. And some of his friends come to him and they take him down off the cross and uh, they, they bury him and put this big stone in front of it. But to make things worse, like those who have like, uh, power and influence of the day request that there would be like guards outside of his tomb. Like a way of just like rubbing salt into the wound of his friends and companions. And so uh, we pick up in Matthew chapter 28 on the heels of all of that. So we read, uh, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. I find this like, opening detail of the story to be so fascinating. Um, because why do the Marys go to the tomb? I don't know. <laughs> why do any of us ever go to a tomb or a grave? I don't, I don't know, right? I mean, like, there's something about a tomb or about a grave that in some way represents the person that's buried there. And something deep within us tells us that it's the right thing to do. Like, to just go and be with this thing that some symbolizes and represents the person that we love and that we cared about. And so I love that at the beginning of the story that has all sorts of like grand cosmic sort of significance, it begins at such a human level. These women just wanting to go and be with their friend. And so then we're told that, and suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. 
But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. For he has been raised, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. And so the Marys approach uh, the, the tomb of Jesus, and we're told that there's this earthquake and this lightning, and there appears an angel. And what's the angel's message? Do not be afraid. Which, like, on one hand, is like good anticipation skills, angel, right? Like, you show up with the, the presence of an earthquake and lightning. Like, you've probably done this before, right? You know that you need to calm some, some of these fears of, like, this grand entrance, right? But on the other hand... I think there's something so much more significant to this message of do not be afraid. See, I think this angel anticipates that there's something that has been plaguing these women for the last few days. Because these women uh, come to the tomb with this, trying to process all that has happened over the last few days, recognizing that they had put their, all of their sort of like religious and spiritual and social and cultural hope and faith in this one that they called Jesus. And yet... Here he was in the tomb. And I can't help but wonder if as they're walking to the grave, perhaps in even like a bit of a stupor early that Sunday morning, that they're plagued with all of the fears of like, did we get it wrong? Like, was all of this a sham? Was all of this for nothing? This person who like when we encountered him, something swelled up within us and we left our old ways behind to follow him. Like, was all of this for nothing? And I think the angel recognizes this fear that would have been plaguing them and steps in and says, do not be afraid because Jesus isn't here. (laughs) Jesus isn't dead. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus has been resurrected. And as if to say, like all that Jesus did and said and taught you the way that he lived, all that you experienced in him, it wasn't a sham. It wasn't for nothing, but in in fact, it's been affirmed, it's been confirmed, it's even been vindicated, all because of this moment that we call the resurrection. See, the resurrection isn't just another page on the calendar, but the resurrection marks something entirely new. And for us as human beings, like it marks a new era for our experience in this life. The resurrection marks a new era of God being with us in a way that perhaps God wasn't with us prior to the resurrection. The resurrection marks a new era in which the reign of God is here on earth as it is in heaven in a way that perhaps it wasn't prior to the resurrection. The resurrection marks a new era of new creation bursting forth all around us in a way that perhaps this new creation wasn't bursting forth all around us prior to the resurrection. All that Jesus said, did, lived, all that these women experienced in the life of Jesus has now been confirmed, affirmed, vindicated, made true, all because of this moment that we call the resurrection. And so the women then uh, listen to the angels' uh, instructions for them. And we're told that they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples... Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to, to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So again, the, the women listen to the, the um, angel's instructions, and they take off, and they run, and they encounter Jesus. And Jesus' message to them is, Do not be afraid afraid. 
Now again, Jesus seems to have some good anticipation skills here, right? Because like Jesus was dead, and now he's not. He's like living, breathing in front of them. And like I've watched enough episodes of The Walking Dead to know that I would be terrified in this moment, right? So Jesus has some good anticipation skills. But on the other hand, like there's more to it than just that. Again, I think Jesus anticipates like all that would have been like swelling up within these women over the last few days as they wondered like was all of this for nothing? Was all of this just a big sham? Was Jesus just another uh, in the long line of messiahs that would be crucified? And it's as if what Jesus is saying here is like I'm alive. <laughs> Everything I taught, everything I did, everything that you experienced in me, that life that swelled up within you when you were in my presence, all of that's true. In fact, all of that is more than true. And so, like, go get my brothers, go get the other disciples, and let's start living as if it was true, right? Now, at this point, uh, I'm going to, like, double down on this phrase here, do not be afraid. Because, again, we see it not just once, but twice in this resurrection account. And I think uh, more significant than just the frequency with which we see this appearing in the resurrection account, I think its location actually matters the most. Because do not be afraid is actually the very first words of the resurrection. So the first words of the resurrection are do not be afraid. Why? Because the, the things that put Jesus in the grave, violence and death, they don't have the last word. <laughs> But the thing that raised Jesus up from the grave, love and life do. Now, I think uh, the message of the resurrection obviously has like significance for all people at all times. But I think it has like a particular sort of uh, significance in this particular moment in human history. Because I don't know if you've paid attention, but like we're being pretty dominated by fear right now, right? <laughs> Again, like, fear isn't a, a bad thing. Like, the fact that you're here today, again, like, just affirms, like, the goodness and the role that fear has in our life. But I'm pretty convinced that, like, the forces of evil, whatever you want to call that, right? Like, the powers of sin and death and darkness, the powers that be, whatever you want to call the, the forces of evil, the things that wreak havoc in our life and in our world around us, I'm pretty convinced that these forces of evil uh, co-opt fear. And more significantly, like, I think they co-opt us by fear. And I think the way that they co-opt us by fear is convincing us that their two biggest punches, violence and death, ultimately have the last word. And I think we've seen this in like our public discourse over the last few weeks, right? I mean, in the wake of yet another part of this growing endemic of gun violence, what is the solution to many? Not less guns, more. <laughs> Like we, our, 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 our uh, imaginations have been so co-opted that the only sort of solution that we have to this problem of violence and death is more violence and death. The problem that we have to these instruments of violence and death is more instruments of violence and death. But my friends, the resurrection challenges this impulse. Amen? Because uh, violence uh, and evil and death that put Jesus, might have put Jesus in the grave but goodness and love and life raised Jesus from the grave. And so you and I don't have to be afraid anymore because, uh, because violence and death don't have the last word, but love and life do. And so what this means for us is that we can be brave and courageous people, even in the face of all that wants to wreak havoc in our life and in the world around us. 
Because to be brave and courageous, contrary to popular belief, does not mean that like, you don't have fear in your life. But to be brave and courageous means that you're stepping forward, moving forward, even in the presence of fear. And so for us in this particular moment, I think to be a brave and courageous person means to practice resurrection, even in the face of a world that wants to claim that all that is wreaking havoc, all uh, that is filled with violence and death has the last word. But my friends, because of the resurrection, we know (laughs) that they don't have the last word. We know that love and life do. And so this means that we can be brave and courageous and we can live into the reign of God right here, right now. It means that we can choose to be brave and courageous and we can choose things like love even in the face of hate. We can choose justice even in the face of injustice. We can choose peace even in the face of violence. We can choose um, generosity even in the face of scarcity. We can choose forgiveness even in the face of hurt. We can choose uh, compassion even in the face of bitterness. We can choose self-sacrifice even in a world that is um, bent on like the building up of the ego project. We can choose, to put it even more simply, things like love and life because we know that violence and death don't have the last word. But we ultimately know what does, and more importantly, we know ultimately who does have the last word. The very first words of the resurrection are, do not be afraid, because the things that put Jesus in the ground, violence and death don't have the last word, but the things that raised him up from the grave do love and life. Friends, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia.